millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. Today's episode is called Return of the Waffle. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Wafflecast host, Matt Two rumpets. How's it waffling, Matt? Oh, today is a great waffle. Absolutely nothing I had planned for today went as I had planned because everything turned up at the last minute. Brilliant. Including the show we just recorded, which was the Bradley Philpot Masterclass on karting, which I invited you along to, and then you got to say uh, approximately nothing. Uh, I got a few questions in edgewise, but I was, I think I was with the rest of the audience. It's just like, just get him started, let him talk, and absorb the knowledge. I know, he was so humble. He just went, oh, guys, I was just really conscious about it becoming the Bradley Philpot show. I know, like like I, like I could teach anyone to go faster in a cart <laughs> under any circumstances. Yeah, exactly. And we were like, no, you're wrong. We absolutely are intending it to be the Bradley Philpot show. That was the plan all along. Uh, so, yeah, a really nice guy full of knowledge. The fact is, he's been teaching people to drive fast for well over a decade, uh, so we're lucky to have him. So I was more than happy to let that run for a full hour and then just hit record again and start talking about the mid-season. And let's be clear, it's not just that he's good at teaching people to kart. He is actually genuinely a fast and competitive race car driver. So it's not just the teaching, he is also the doing. And that, I think, is what makes it genius. Yeah, I think it's time to tell people that we are an independent podcast hosted by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review and a podcast before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here, 
so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. Uh, Matt, there are no guests today because it's just you. And I think this is a good beta for what we've been teasing, which is you producing a Wafflecast show. Uh, but when we do the Wafflecast, which is Patreon supported, because people want to hear you without me constantly telling you to wrap up, move on, shut up. Yeah, well, they think that now, but we'll give them the chance to decide for themselves, <laughs> shall we? You should try being in four separate WhatsApp groups with Matt Trumpets. Then you tell me you don't want him to be restricted and you don't want him to shut up. I do occasionally have an opinion. It is true. Okay, let's talk about the mid-season review then, because it's been quite an amazing season. Would you have predicted at the beginning of the season that we would go into the summer break with four different winners from the last four races? No, and it's really, really exciting since that season where the first five races all had a different winner. It's fantastic. It was the first and six. You're talking about 2012. First six races. All right. Well, I was close. Not bad for someone with basically no memory left. That's um, true. Uh, yeah, yeah, I love it. And what I love more than anything else is that the battle for the Constructors Championship, which I know always gets short shrift compared to the drivers, is between two teams with a properly different development and and basic design philosophy. It's uh, the last time we saw something like this, I think, again, might have been 2012. Last year, Lewis Hamilton drove for McLaren. They, like Mercedes now, were with the low rake versus Red Bull with the ultra high rake. And it, it was great because different tracks, different people had the advantage. And had McLaren been able to figure out how to do a pit stop in less than 25 seconds, I'm talking about the time the cars actually stopped, not the full pit lane length there. You, you could have seen, what was it, two, possibly three different winners of the, of the driver's championship as well. Uh, it, it's great. It's fantastic. And it's made it very, very exciting, I think, for everybody. Yeah, because obviously the fear was Mercedes were going to come in and, and dominate it again. But it's weird, isn't it? Because Ferrari have kind of out Red Bulled Red Bull to get to the, the front of the pack and be the main contenders. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting because I, I, I did have um, uh, on the back of our, our last recording uh, with Summers, I, I did have a bit of a chat with him afterwards. And what he basically said was the stuff that he's seen Red Bull do in the last couple of weeks, it seems to be makes, making such a big difference, is essentially what you would consider to be low-hanging fruit, things that other teams have not only done, but been doing for some time. So uh, Ferrari has simply been on it sooner than Red Bull. And as a result, they've taken it over. But they also have the advantage, uh, I think, in the engine department yeah. of the only other manufacturer that's kind of on a par with Mercedes. They're not quite there in qualifying, but definitely in the race. Uh, Mr. Rollograph in the chat room is saying, watch Red Bull Racing next half. And in fact, do you remember after the first few races, we had a source close to Red Bull. In fact, we had two, one through Anil and uh, one through you and I, who were saying Red Bull felt like they could catch and pass Ferrari in the development race, but not Mercedes. And it does kind of look like it's panning out that way. I know Hungary uh, was good for Ferrari and Lewis Hamilton possibly had an off weekend, but the general trend we've been seeing is that Mercedes are stretching their legs and Red Bull are closing the gap to Ferrari. Yeah, I mean, if, if you ask me to put it into words, which you haven't, but it's I shall. It's all we right? have here. That's true. Uh, what I would say is, uh, on the tracks where the Mercedes design does well, Lewis is untouchable. 
on the track where the Mercedes design naturally struggles, Botas tends to come off a little bit better. And we see in Ferrari the fact that Vettel is being groomed to win the championship, period. So whatever it takes, he will get the best and biggest bite at the Apple, regardless of whether it's a track that suits the Ferrari more or whether it doesn't. And, you know, we've had the occasional technical directives taking away some toys. But as a whole, I think that's how it's gone this far. Now, interestingly, saying about Lewis Hamilton, this season we have seen two key weaknesses of Lewis Hamilton, but they're not really weaknesses. They're his kryptonite. Because if you take away these weaknesses, you take away his strengths, which is that he goes all out. The first weakness is the one you've mentioned there, which is when the car is firing, he is driving ahead of the car. So he is driving in the knowledge that it is going to do something or in the knowledge that he can get the extra grip or the extra performance that that car can deliver. But when it's not there, he goes over that limit and he loses lap time. Whereas Bartas perhaps isn't quite on that fiery edge and therefore is less affected by any deficiencies in the Mercedes car on any given weekend. The other one that I've identified, which I'm quite proud of myself for identifying, is in qualifying. Lewis Hamilton does not do a banker lap. He goes out and he tries to do it the best possible lap every lap. And sometimes he misses. And sometimes he misses it by quite a way. And on two occasions, I think Russia and Hungary, he's ended up not just behind Bottas, but fourth. So, you know, that's that's quite a disadvantage. It does make him amazing. He's probably going to end up with the highest ever qualifying polls. However, it's going to disadvantage him throughout the season because when it doesn't work, it's a big disadvantage because in this season, you can't follow. So if you don't qualify well, you just get stuck. And even Lewis Hamilton, and I'm sure even the best overtakers, will get stuck behind a car that doesn't have a big negative delta ahead of them. Yeah, and we sort of, Hungary was a great example of that, although that's always been classically a track where it's very difficult to overtake. If you have multiple lines, corners, you have a reasonable shot. And and we've seen some good racing the first half of the year, no doubt. But I I think the other thing I think that really gives Botas the advantage is that he drove for Williams last year, which was by far not the best car. And I think that memory is closer to him, whereas Lewis has had three years in by far the best car. So when it's not working, he has a harder time wrapping his brain around just how far the car will go before it starts to cause When's issue. the last time we saw this exact teammate dynamic? Ah, you don't like it when I do the question talking, do you? Daniel Ricciardo against Sebastian Vettel when Ricciardo was coming from that slippery Toro Rosso uh, to, to come alongside uh, a Red Bull that suddenly didn't have the performance that Sebastian Vettel was used to. Vettel was having to downgrade to a car with less handling, whereas as far as Ricciardo was concerned, it was sticking to the floor. And then we saw it again when Verstappen joined, and in Monaco, he was doing his best to drive to the inside of every corner because he just had that much more mechanical grip. Yeah, I was going to say the opposite uh, case would be Verstappen into that wall at Monaco because he was used to having to allow some margin for that Toro Rosso to understeer, whereas the Red Bull just went exactly where he pointed it, which was apparently right at the guardrail at that point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, chat room here, Mr. Bolin, a Swede, saying it's impressive how Hamilton has worked on his qualifying. 2014 and 2015, Rosberg had qualifying dominance. Actually, you know, that that's true. He didn't have the best of Rosberg. 
In fact, they started having that qualifying trophy, didn't they? Did Rosberg win both of those qualifying trophies? He certainly won one of them. Uh, but Hamilton was spanking him in the race. So it wasn't that much of an issue. But this year, I don't think, you know, you can do that. Qualifying is much more important this year. Yeah. And, and I think we see Lewis get lost in the balance of the car in qualifying when the Mercedes isn't on it and is not going to be on pole because he's thinking about, I want pole. Whereas Botas is like, well, how good can I get the balance to get yeah. the maximum lap time? And that really, that's an advantageous way of thinking when your car is not going to be on it. I think Lewis has that belief that no matter the circumstances, he can always put it on pole. But the reality of the Mercedes this year is that's not quite always going to be the case. So a point you made earlier, which was this season so far, some tracks have given us great racing. So I think like, Bahrain, China, Spain was okay. Yeah, we had real good racing. In fact, oh yeah, no, Spain was good. That's when Hamilton and Vettel were going toe to toe as well, wasn't it? Um, but the tracks traditionally where we've been on the margins of whether it's suitable for a Formula One car this year has been kind of like, no, like Monaco was worthless as far as a spectacle, as far as racing was concerned. Hungary, you could argue, has reached its limit of accommodating Formula One vehicles this year, they would have to come back considerably to make the Hungara ring worth racing. Um, but I'm just looking forward to the second half of the calendar to see what we can expect. Yes, and if we had it listed in the notes somewhere... I've I got it in front of me. I cheated. I googled it. You googled it. All right, well, what, what you can assume <laughs> is that a race like Spa... Yep, that's next. Uh, race pace is going to be close, but I think Mercedes is going to be the favorite because the speeds are high and there's some very high-speed corners, and that's clearly their wheelhouse. Whereas you could look at a race, or Monza too, I think, again, you're going to be looking at the Mercedes having an advantage both in the power unit and in the high-speed corners. Singapore, on the other hand, that's clearly going to be not only Ferrari territory, but that could be uh, Red Bull spoiler territory as well. Ricciardo uh, loves uh, Singapore, I think. He's, he was very good there. But but Vettel races very well at Singapore as well. Yeah, yeah. And mm. so, I, again, I think that's going to be... And we've seen Singapore be a serious bogey track for uh, Mercedes before. And with the long wheelbase and their current design philosophy, slow corners, again, they're going to struggle. They're going to struggle, I think, with understeer due to the loss of that hydraulic suspension. I'll tell you the one that I'm looking forward to, though, will be Suzuka. That's a proper test of all the aspects of a car. And it's going to be very interesting in the race to see Ferrari's pace versus Mercedes pace. Because I, I would have a hard time telling you who I think would really have the advantage. Certain parts of the track will be Ferrari, certain parts will be Mercedes. And ah, and it is one of my favorite tracks. But I'll tell you what, if Sebastian Vettel wants to win this world championship this year, he's got to do well, I think, in Singapore. And he's got to do well in Japan. Because look at the other races. Monza, that is going to suit uh, Mercedes. And it's a, a late, heavy-breaking kind of track. So that's Lewis Hamilton territory. Malaysia, Lewis Hamilton territory. Austin, Lewis Hamilton territory. Uh, Mexico, maybe not so much. But Sao Paulo, certainly. And then Abu Dhabi. If Vettel wants to win this championship, he's got to get stuff done soon. He's got to get stuff done in the next three races. Uh, yeah, Felix is predicting McLaren for a fast lap in Suzuka. Just because it happened once, just because it happened once, Felix, doesn't mean <laughs> it will happen again. I'm sorry, as much as I sing the occasional praise of Honda and their ability to maybe catch up eventually. Yeah, it's a hard one to see. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, and, and don't forget the turbocharger penalty. 
Oh, so be- so Ferrari have got penalties coming up. Have they? They've already used five turbochargers. Four. So if they change one more, they will have a ten-place grid penalty. And yep. thing is, though, if they if they, for example, need to change that for the next race, then they're likely to get two more penalties over the course of the rest of the season. Yeah, well, that's going to be one where they probably change a lot of stuff. They'll put in. They we'll, might as well add a gearbox to the pool. Yeah. Might as well, you know, uh, change a bunch of engine components. So <clears throat> you would expect to see a race where they really don't think they're going to do well. They'll just basically add a whole new bucket of everything to the pool and be done with it. Unless they've changed the regulations to make that yeah, a I carryover. Don't, penalty, I, I don't think I they go- can. I don't think they can stack turbos. So I don't think they can like use turbos through practice this year and then have seven for the rest of the season. No, 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 not not like that, not turbos. But that they, but they're going to look at their component usage and they'll be like, okay, well, we're going to take a turbocharger penalty. We'll take an ERS penalty. We'll take a, this penalty. Well, they're going to look at their component usage and 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 be strategic about it and just say, we're just going to have one race where basically we're going to start from the back and see how far forward we can get, uh, and and then that way there's no penalties in the end of the year. Ah, see, what do they do? Do they pick a race that they think is going to be a washout anyway, where they can just pick off? So like Monza, they think, well, we can pick off most of the midfield there and then just end up trying to maybe get one or two of the Red Bulls towards the end of the race. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly going to be the, the planning because a 10 grid place penalty, I mean, you're already assuming you're already starting P11. So both both Red Bulls are in front of you. It's not going to be hard for them. Well, assuming they both can finish their qualifying, which doesn't always happen. Sometimes the engines just stop seriously. Uh, yeah, I, I, you you would think if I was doing it strategically, I would look at all my component usage, the wear that I expected, and what having an extra one, what kind of an advantage it would give me. Because the difference between P11 and P15 and P20 is not going to be that great when you're in basically either the fastest or second fastest car on the racetrack. Well, yeah, because the field spread is actually quite high this season. So the gap between the top three and the guys behind is is huge. So you would not expect anyone other than a Mercedes or a Red Bull to hold Vettel up as he makes his way through the grid. Yeah, exactly. I mean, maybe he'll get stuck a little bit behind a Force India, but even there, we've seen them able to, we've seen the Ferraris able to get by the Force Indias fairly easily when they've needed to. All right, then, let's go to Force India, your favourite topic, Matt. How are we going to see the the, ne- the uh, second half of the season going out between these two guys? Because I kind of get the feeling that Ocon will get reeled in. And over the summer, it will be a bit of a consolidating period where Force India, yeah, forget all the hype, forget all the drama of the last few races, Sergio Perez is their number one driver, who's paying a lot of money. And I think that... You know, Ocon is just going to get his neck wound in a little bit, which is when we get situations where they are on track, line astern, it's not going to be Sergio get out of the way for Ocon. And it's not going to be necessarily, you know, Ocon get out of the way for Perez either. But I don't think we're going to see this situation where they pretend that they are even teammates. We're not going to see Perez say, okay, you go past, have a go at the cars in front. But if you don't get past, let me have that place back because that is not going to sit well with Perez's pride. He is someone who genuinely believes he should be going for for drivers' championships. You know, he's not seeing himself as a midfield driver. No, he's not. Although he is now, 
because he has gone through through from from thinking he might be driving for Ferrari next year to very desperately wanting to be at Force India with a brief tilt at Renault along the way. And uh, the fact of the matter is Ocon is putting him under an awful lot of pressure, and he hasn't been under that much pressure for some time now. Uh, that said, he's a very, very, very good driver, and he has a lot more experience than Ocon. And I would expect him over the course of the rest of the season to to outpoint Ocon, but it doesn't matter. Ocon only has to do better than him a few times and for it to be yeah. moral victory. It will. And, it will grab the headlines. Yeah, and and this is, and I think Ocon is onto this, and he's he's relatively unbothered by all the histrionics that Perez is throwing forth. But but as Josh Covey in the chat room says, by 2018, we're probably going to see. Ocon consistently beating Perez. When it comes to driver market time, Perez has got to be aware of that. And I, he, it would be the end of his career now if he was to sit at Force India in 2018 and and have Ocon develop and get to the point where it doesn't matter what the team says, he's going to qualify ahead, he's going to be ahead on the track, he's going to outscore him. That is, I mean, Perez is not that old. I think he's 30, but that will show him up for not being in the top tier of drivers that he would certainly claim he is in. Yeah, and it's not going to get any easier with Leclerc on board to come on, who is, relatively speaking, usually three quarters to a full second faster than the entire rest of the GP2 field per lap. <laughs> it, it's just, it's mental. There's a lot of very, very good drivers coming back and less and less room for the people who are decent drivers but have lots of money. And, and that's where the openings are going to be. You're going to see it at Renault with Palmer. Uh, you might very well see it at Sauber with Ericsson. And, and I don't know. Where do you go from there? Gutierrez is already out. Perez is paying a lot for that Force India seat, but he's not going to be able to spend that money and get a Mercedes or get a Ferrari or apparently even a Renault seat. But he could get a Williams seat. Uh, let's get to that in a second. Corku uh, Anoma, who we haven't seen in the chat room for a while, says Force India are the steady Eddie of the season so far but I feel there will be issues again if they are closer together on the track and yes that will be an issue this season because Perez still has the edge um, but next season it might not be uh, if you're Perez if you're a Perez fan you might be thinking about him going to Williams and paying for a seat at Williams and Williams will take that money The how much do you think um, Massa brings to Williams in comparison to Perez I would say Perez is probably you know, bringing a lot more, it could be a best-case scenario for Williams. The worry comes in that if they're backing Stroll as their man for the many, many millions of dollars, is Perez going to be too good and make Stroll look terrible if he hasn't made a developmental step? Well, I don't think that's going to be an issue for them. The The math for Williams is how much does Stroll bring versus what does he cost us in points? Really? And right you, now, you don't think that they're going to protect him as well? No. I mean, I think Stroll is not a terrible driver. Stroll was a decent driver. He's won some things. He's very young. And this is the issue. Uh, I mean, you could say Verstappen was very young, but clearly from a driving point of view, Verstappen was much more mature than Stroll is. But that's okay because he's young. He can actually develop and potentially get better and better and better. The issue for them is the arbitrage between what does Stroll sponsorship bring versus what is what what are they costing us in points and in potential other sponsorship. Because as we've seen with McLaren, the further back you go, 
the less sponsors want to pay for spots on your car. Now, that's complicated by Liberty maybe changing all the rules of how the money is distributed, but that's not till 2020. So it's an interesting question for them. Perez bringing an extra chunk of cash and his uh, decided talent as a driver could be a very good thing for William. The chat room is trolling me by saying Stroll has a podium. And I don't want to beat this to death, but I know you're saying Stroll isn't terrible and he, and he was fast in, in other series. And I'm not enough of an expert in those junior series to know how much his money advantaged him in those series. Although some people will say to me that he basically bought the best car in those junior series, which made him look so good. However, Matt, I think it's time to stop teasing and saying that Mist Apex is going to have a much better perspective on F2, F3, GP3 in the second half of the season. Yeah, it is because we are going to officially launch the Mist Apex Extra Show, which will be talking about the junior series and the junior drivers that are going to be showing up in Formula One or Super Formula or Formula E or possibly IndyCar or you name it because who knows where there there's certainly not a lot of room at the end at the moment, is there? No. So I think the main thing to say is that it is an additional feed that you will have to subscribe to. So we're not going to put any of that extra stuff of the support series on this feed, although obviously we'll be going on about it all the time and advertising it. But personally, for me, I I want to know a bit more about those junior series and these guys coming up. Like, if only I had been watching the previous five series, it would have given me context for people like Stroll coming through and Palmer as well. I would have loved to have seen Palmer's four seasons in GP2, but I didn't really pay any attention to that. So, you know, yes, he's GP2 champion, but what does that mean in the wider picture? Does everyone get four stabs at it? Uh, that's the kind of perspective that I haven't gained. So with the crew we have that do have an excellent um, knowledge of the sport series, it almost seems like a no-brainer to then have a reporting-style magazine feed where we can find out. And primarily, I'm starting this so I can learn about it, Matt. Is that selfish to start a new feed just so I can learn about it? No. In fact, if you want to start a feed to learn about it, chances are that other people might want to learn about it too. Exactly. Like I do honestly think I represent the demographic of our average listener in that I am not an expert in any of these fields, which is why I bring on you to talk about, you know, the politics and the uh, and the strategy and, and the spectacle of the race. We have Chris Stevens, who is a reporter, Joe Sayward talking about life in the paddock, uh, uh, Matthew Summerfield talking about the tech, and then more recently now, Bradley Philpot talking about a racing driver's perspective. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, I feel like, um, I feel like basically the first listener of Missed Apex podcast. So it's exciting to have, who have we got doing it? You, yourself, Anil, uh, Goldie, Alex Goldschmidt, Chris Stevens. Yes. Um, who else have we got in that group? Vortex, I think, will be joining in from time to time. Vortex, yes, and a couple of the Downforce guys as well. Yeah, Vortex really keeps up with the support series, doesn't he? Uh, so, yeah, so we've got a rich pool of people there. I don't think I am going to be part of that production crew. I might jump on and produce the first few just to get them rolling, but I don't think I'm going to be hosting and featuring in them. Uh, I will just be a very avid listener, and I can't wait to to learn about the, the support series. All right, uh, I've waffled on. Uh, well, I suppose that's what we were going for, Matt. Where did I waffle from uh, uh, so I can find out where we are waffling to? Uh, we were talking about, uh, of course, India and Oakland, I think. No, we'd gotten to Stroll. We'd gotten to Stroll, it, hadn't we? Stroll come after? I thought Stroll came before, but it doesn't matter. 
the chat room is kind of disagreeing with me. They think they think Stroll should should be one and done. Yeah, much like yeah. Palmer, I guess. But I I say he's too young and too immature as a driver to really. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We know. We don't see the telemetry. We don't know what the team are really thinking or what they're planning. So, you know, the question isn't, is he the fastest driver ever? Which is, you know, as fans, we like to argue about that. The question is, is he... Is he fulfilling the team's expectations? And if the answer to that is yes, then you will continue to see him around. Well, I think that's relative. And Brian Waltz is saying Stroll is a good driver. It just took him getting out of his own head to recognize it. But he is up against someone who has, in a long career in Formula One, only beaten his teammate twice. He could not ask for a better scenario for a teammate. Someone with an excellent reputation who doesn't often beat their teammate Stroll is not facing the toughest challenge in F1 this season, teammate-wise. Sorry, he's not. And if it's Perez next season, it could be, you know, a lot tougher. Or or even Deresta. I, I, I back Deresta to be better than Massa, because Deresta was solid at Force India. He was a proper Formula One driver. Oh, Deresta? Absolutely. Um, and there's probably about 10 other names we could come up with that could walk into that seat and fulfill that same role. The big difference is experience. Massa is one of the most experienced drivers. And yeah, I know he rarely beat his teammate, uh, but he also took a spring to the head. So if you factor that in, he's a great person to be there. He's, he's old enough to not really care that much in terms of whether or not he's getting pressured by the youngster. He didn't even expect to be driving. So this has got to be like, Oh, an extra year of glory? Yeah, I'll take that. And at Williams? Sure, why not? And, uh, you know, at that level, probably you're happy to share your knowledge and your setup and, and just see the youngster develop a little bit. And he is a capable pair of hands. When the Williams has been working, especially the first part of the season, he, he got them a very nice haul of points. And I don't know that there's anyone that could have walked in there and brought them more points than Massa did until they, they fell off the development map. I don't know. I, I find that hard to agree with. I think there's, I think Button would have scored more points than Massa right now. I think I, I just, 
I know people love him. I know people think he's a nice guy, and I'm sure he is. I just, I really think he's off the pace. Uh, he was out-qualified a ridiculous amount of times by Bottas. And yeah, Bottas is quick, and I rate Bottas as a racing driver, but for raw pace, that's not the guy you want beating you, whatever it is, 17-2. Yeah, but, you, but you, oh, you're talking about qualifying. Who cares? It's all about where you finish in the race. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, but Bottas and, smashed and, him and, during and, the races and, as well. And, and what I'm saying is, yeah, no, he's not as fast as Bottas, but the Williams is a car. It is a car. So, relatively speaking, bad, that I don't think that margin matters. I don't think Botas could have driven it faster enough to have gained them extra places when the car was even basically competitive. The problems that Williams run deeper to basic chassis design, basic arrow, and just correlation. They've really struggled to understand they brought developments that don't work the way they anticipate. Yeah. And, you know, I think Patty is pretty much taking the Mercedes playbook and is going to try and institute it for 2018, 2019. So we potentially will have a more competitive Williams. And at that point, yeah, you're right. A quicker pair of hands might make a difference. But this year, no, they just need someone who's not going to drive it into a wall or another competitor. Yeah. And, and, and Stroll isn't going to drive it. Yeah, And Stroll as well. He's not going to drive it into walls, really. He's taking it nice and steady. And I'm really torn on Stroll. And I know we've spent a long time talking about him, but he is somewhat unique in that he is just a pure financial grunt that's got him in there. Now that he's here, not going to begrudge him his place because, in a way, his dad has achieved that for him. And Lewis Hamilton's dad achieved a lot on his behalf. That's part of the package of getting into Formula One. So I'm not going to begrudge that. You know, uh, Lance Stroll's dad made money uh, being a fashion billionaire, a fashion icon. So, in a way, that success has a kind of reward to it. So I'm not begrudging him that. But I am jealous of that. I am supremely jealous of that in that I believe fully that if it was an even playing field, I would definitely have been Formula World uh, One World Champion one day, uh, for sure. Like I don't think there's any doubt about it, had my primary school been issued with as many go-karts as footballs. And Stroll is a very, very nice young man, and he's very humble, and he's been very honest about where his performance sits compared to Massa. Like he said, oh, one race he said, oh, I'm within three-tenths of Massa, I'm really happy. You know, that's fantastic. He's a genuinely nice bloke. So I'm torn between him wanting to do well and being a Formula One kind of diehard where I want him to be found out as a pay driver. Yeah, well, let's face it. If you're Frank, he's done. If you're Claire, he's a project because he is that income that he brings shows up regardless of car performance, doesn't it? Uh, Zach so, in the chat room is saying, yeah. "Would uh, sorry, is saying would Ant Davison ever jump back in? I think he's too old now. But yeah, sorry, the trade-off between performance and cash. Yeah, and see, the thing is, you have a fast car that can finish high in the points, and the driver gets in the car, gets to turn one, and he gets torpedoed by, let's say, Kvyat, just because, I don't know, pick that name out of a hat. Random. And then your race is done, you get no points for that. And at the end of the year, you miss out on fourth, and you wind up in fifth because of that one accident. With Stroll, get torpedoed, don't get torpedoed, the cash shows up. And and this is what I mean by arbitrage. You know, that's a guaranteed chunk of cash. Mm-hmm. If you can drive well enough to move them up a place in the constructors, then that's extra cash. Yeah, but it's also development, isn't it? So I would love to know how much a grid spot in qualifying costs in development. Because if it costs less than the amount of points he's going to lose by being slower than Massa, then it's a very simple equation. 
if you think in Formula One, how much is car, how much is driver, it could be as much as 75%, 80% car. But that assumption is the car finishes the race without accident or incident, and you cannot guarantee that. We've seen in every race, right? And that's that's a risk thing. That's a risk assessment thing. How often do we think the car can finish? Because let's face it, the further back you start, the more likely you are to get tangled up into turn one. And especially in a season where overtaking and following is very difficult because of the arrow they've laid on, qualifying matters more, and you're going to have more incidents at turn one, which increases the possibility that the car doesn't finish. You know, I mean, Verstappen is very fast. How many races has he not finished for Red Bull? How many points have they left on the table? Loads. And where has Stroll done well? Canada, which was a high attrition race where lots of people were losing their heads. And Baku, where I counted at least 47 different drivers could have won the race, but he kept a calm head and scored a podium. So, yeah, you're right. He is kind of doing what Williams ask of him right now, which is get the car home deliver when no one else is delivering and come with a boatload of cash. But long term, Stroll is taking up a place of a potential world champion. And I would like to see a grid of 20 potential world champions. We've got passengers right now in Formula One. And at the moment, he's one of them. Yeah. Oh, no. At the moment, he is one of them. And I think he's uh, very clearly a project. Williams have taken the money and they're going to invest in his education. But you, as Williams, as a team, you've got to ask, what is my timeline on this? One season, two seasons, three seasons? When do we say uh, the money we're getting isn't worth it? And I would say that's going to be down to the potential in the car. As the car, if, if the car gets faster under Patty's leadership. I don't think that's the factor. Unlock, huh? I don't think that's the factor because with that much money and we've seen uh, Stroll Senior's uh, fortune, with that much money, he can he could stay in F1 the next 20 years if he's enjoying it. And if he's happy to finish second to his teammate, Williams could just have a succession of faster drivers and use the Stroll money to develop. We don't know what Stroll's ego is. He doesn't seem like someone who is insulted by someone beating him. He, he seems happy to do his best. So he could be there for a decade just being beaten by the likes of Massa, Deresta, or upcoming drivers, or you could have uh, Williams being like a school for fast young drivers to have a go at the experienced but slow, rich veteran Lance Stroll. Yeah, you could. In fact, you could even have like an Indy Late situation where that Williams seat just becomes the de facto GP2 seat for like half a season, so that if you win GP2, you know you've got some races coming up in a Williams. Yeah, you know you get to go against Stroll and you've got a good chance of beating him. And if you don't beat Stroll, well, that's the minimum standard of uh, Formula One. But in fact, that's unfair. The chat room are talking about him not being the worst pay driver on the grid. And as a Brit, it's painful to agree uh, because uh, Julian Palmer, Jolian Palmer, I beg your pardon, is not doing well at Renault at all. Like he's really, really not doing well. Uh, probably worse than he was doing last season. And it seems worse because he also doesn't have the reliability uh, this season. So, I don't know. I don't know if there's any redemption on the horizon for Palmer at all. Uh, the only thing I would say was, I believe it was late August, uh, when he started beating Magnussen last year. And then he was fairly consistent about being able to do that. So, if we're going to see him be a proper Renault driver and finishing 
you know, within tenths of Hulkenberg, then then now's the time. He's oh, he's going to put up or he's going to be gone. It's not going to happen. Um, you're not a cricket fan, are you, Matt? But uh, you know, in football, you see your result in an hour and a half, and then you go home, you have your beers, and you talk about that match, and you have these cup finals where people get knocked out. It's all very dramatic. But in in cricket, a game can take five days on occasion, and you can't draw any conclusions about anyone's performance uh, over the course of an hour or an hour and a half. You have to wait a full set of five, eight-hour days of play. And Formula One is very much the same as that. You have to have the patience over a decade to figure out how drivers are doing against each other. So we haven't, in the last decade, seen Vettel against Hamilton because, A, they haven't been in a team, and the teams that they've been in that are performing haven't crossed paths until this season. So we've had to kind of rely on inferring things out of teammate battles. And even then, it's not easy because people face each other at different stages of their career. And where all this waffle has led to is how do we rate Kevin Magnussen? Jolian Palmer was beating Kevin Magnussen towards the end of last season. Well, you know, Palmer was kind of buttonish, wasn't he? He was on kind of a, a level playing field with, with Button. Uh, he's very much the number two driver right now to Grosjean. Grosjean was getting beaten by Kimi Raikkonen until Raikkonen decided he had a fake back injury or whatever contractual problems they were having at Lotus and they were telling him to get out of the way. Raikkonen was on a par with Massa, both of whom uh, have been beaten by Vettel. So we can kind of conclude that beating Magnussen at the moment isn't that much to shout about. Have you followed me? <laughs> I think I sort of have. I talked I, for a long time. No. I'm going to pass out now. Oh, and there you go. Oh, it's tragic. Unlimited talking for me. Yes. Uh, no, I, I mean, uh, the interesting thing about Haas is we've seen Magnussen do better on weekends. We've seen Grosjean do better on weekends. You tend to think that Grosjean is maybe a little bit quicker, but a lot of time in the races, Magnussen's more dependable. He seems to be very confident at Haas, and they seem to like him there. So, you know, uh, I know Grosjean thinks of himself as being better. I know the press rate him as being better. But if you look at how the team treat them, that yeah. doesn't really seem to be the case. So if you're going to put, I would put Magnussen on a par with Grosjean. Um, Raikkonen, I think we don't know. The only thing we know about Raikkonen is that qualifying is not his friend. In a race, he could be faster than Vettel or slower than Vettel, but Ferrari will always put Vettel's interest first. So you're not going to know. And we've only seen him beat Vettel once in qualifying this year, if I'm remembering correctly. But Raikkonen has a world championship to his name, which Grosjean does not, which a lot of people don't. And that that is a difference. And uh, you know what? The, he's just a fan favorite. Raikkonen is. It's good to see him even in the mix. And it's and his radio is just gold. Let's face it. And actually, you raise something that's been coming up lately because we've been seeing about so much talent coming through from the feeder series. And in the test, you know, we've seen Russell, Leclerc, um, who's the Brit, Lando Norris coming through. But there's nowhere for these guys to go. So what's the payoff between these old guys holding up spaces and stopping the young talent coming through and saying, actually, these guys are really marketable because what is Formula One right now? Formula One is Lewis Hamilton versus Sebastian Vettel. Below that, it's not even Valtteri Bottas, who's third in the championship. Below that, it's Kimi Raikkonen. It's Fernando Alonso. 
and it would have been Jensen Button last year. So there is, and Massa, in fact. So there is kind of a benefit to the sport in the whole of keeping these vets on. You almost wish that there was just 30 seats so that we could have our cake and eat it. Yeah, well, I think you could talk about uh, at least two seats next year. Uh, we can talk about a second seat at Sauber for Ferrari. So you're going to see Leclerc and probably Giovinazzi. Depends on how much pull Ericsson really has with his backers at long. Two newbies at see... Sauber, though, Matt. That just seems nuts. That seems like they're writing that season off, and Sauber have written enough seasons off. Yeah, well, with Ferrari, you're hardly going to keep Verline around, are you? And Ericsson has always been the slower driver. So, yeah, yeah Ferrari's going to so give me exactly, lose. you know, how much am I paying for these Ferrari engines? Okay, yeah. yes, you can have your two drivers. I think that's pretty much how that's going to go. I wonder and how far Sauber can be up the grid with a current Ferrari engine and two young, fast drivers, one of whom is sometimes not in a wall. Yes. Well, uh, with Leclerc, it will be interesting. The problem with Sauber has been a lot down to the power unit, but also just a lot down to development. They haven't had the money to develop, but they don't have to because we've gone from 11 teams to 10 teams. They can, they can, they can cruise around in 10th, be in the Grand Prix, occasionally get a miraculous result, and everybody's happy. If we have more teams, it's more of a problem for them. Um, and then there's the place at Reno, which we're all assuming Palmer will not have next year, and who's going to go there. Uh, looking ahead with the departure of Alonzo for McLaren, uh, I think Norris, wow, Norris and Leclerc is like going to be the battle of the future because they're both fast and they're both very racing. Yeah, I want to see Norris in F1, but I don't think, I think next season might be a bit soon. Oh, yeah, of course. He, he's just, he's in F3 now. Um, and there's also coming up that's also exciting is Santino Ferrucci because he's an American. He drove for Haas in the test and he just stepped up from F3 to GP2 and finished in the top 10 in his very first race. We're both so, such yeah. patriots, aren't we? Because the other name I was going to mention was Roland. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, well, yeah. Roland's, yeah, he had a brilliant win when Leclerc got booted to the back, uh, for, um, for technical uh technical regulation reasons in the last gp2 race uh he's a very very good driver so the thing is there are a lot of good drivers and there's never going to be enough room for them in formula one that's a shame i'd love to see a 26 car grid yeah and and that's going to be down to liberty and 2020 and how much is it going to cost and the manufacturers Ugh. There, there's a lot that's going to go into how many teams they have how many teams do they really want Fair enough. If you could waffle about one more thing before we go, what would it be, Matt? Uh, you put me on the spot again. What What do I want to waffle at? Well, I'm in that case, while you're thinking about it, can I encourage you all to support Missed Apex Podcast? If you want to support us verbally, then please just tell everybody you know about Missed Apex Podcast. Very much we have no marketing strategy whatsoever, so we rely on word of mouth. We We rely on people enjoying the show so much that they want to share it with their friends. So please, please do that on social media, Twitter, Facebook, etc. Follow us at Missed Apex F1. Follow me and Matt as well, at Spanners Ready. Uh, and Matt is at MattPT55. You can also support us with money by going to patreon.com and uh, doing a monthly micropayment to support us. Uh, search Missed Apex Podcast on there. For the remainder of August, we are collecting monthly donations that will go towards Matt producing a waffle cast. 
which is very much in this format, but Matt being the producer and host, inviting one or two other people and having a free-form discussion about the F1 matters of the day. So not a race review, not a technical review, not reporting on the news, just a uh, a kind of a diary of F1 from Matt's point of view. Uh, and everything we collect in monthly payments from now to the end of September will go towards funding Matt, producing that, uh, not only just for his his time, but also upgrades and maintenance of his equipment to be a Missed Apex podcast producer. Excellent. Well, you gave me time and I have thought of a thing. And th- this comes from doing the uh, Formula E show, E-Radio. But we were very fortunate to have uh, Luke Smith on, who covers uh, covers Formula E, Crash.net, um, but also covers Formula One for NBC in print. And what I want to waffle about is Liberty Media, because now you're talking about somebody who is going to the races. And he is full of nothing, nothing but compliments for Liberty Media right now and how the atmosphere of the paddock has changed with the departure of Bernie Eccleston. Now, I don't know from a VIP's point of view, I don't know from a fan's point of view, but I can tell you from a reporter's point of view, Liberty Media is currently knocking it out of the park. I think we see it with yes. Buxton, we see it on Sky. Joe Saywood up- says the same thing. He speaks very, very highly because that's his life. Day in, day out as a journalist, he is at the mercy of Liberty Media to provide good facilities, good entertainment, and good philosophy going forward. Yeah, and so I just I figured I'd toss that out there. So far, all the signs are good for the takeover and what that portends for the other aspects of Formula One as we move forward, as opposed to, say, the FIA. And it's going to be interesting as we get into the weeds a little bit with the regulations and with what uh, the president of the FIA, who is up for re-election this year, let's remember there is some politics going on here. It's going to be very interesting as we get towards the next big set of regulation changes to see the interplay between uh, Liberty and the FIA, and especially, I think, if Malone is involved, because he really is the power behind the throne, and he is he is not someone to be fooled about with at all. There's, uh, there's definitely a struggle for the spirit of Formula One, because th- there's one camp that says Formula One should be road-relevant, uh, work on this hybridization, uh, the energy recovery, all the rest of it, and there's the other side saying... Well, we have Formula E for that. And they're right, because Formula E is driving forward in road relevancy and the future is kind of in that direction. So Formula E could give Formula One a get-out-of-jail-free card and we could just get rid of all this electronics and just have naturally spirited cars with 4,000 horsepower engines. Yeah, yeah, but it's more complicated than that because the fact of the matter is that some of the electronics, a lot of the electronics, actually make the cars faster and better. And the, the issue all along has been the restriction of the electrics to the benefit of the internal combustion engine. And we've seen some huge, uh, Mazda just had news today that they were going to, that they were going to go with an HCCI, which is high compression combustion injection engine they've been trying to develop forever which is similar to a diesel and basically the same kind of deal that we're seeing the Formula One cars run. So there is benefit to making a more efficient and more powerful internal combustion engine with less and less volume. But the reality is 
the electrics have more torque. They have more instantaneous on and off. And that the hybrid engine has been, if you go all the way back to the Toyota Prius and look at it, has been basically the way forward. And it could be the way forward for Formula One, but it just needs to be rethought in terms of where the power is derived from and how you're going to allow people with different interpretations of that to compete on what amounts to a level playing field. And what's handicapped them the most is A, the added weight of the batteries, and B, the insistence on the MGUH and the inability to take all the power you can derive from that and apply it to the system. You're limited in how much you can apply to the system, even though you can transfer back and forth as much as you like. And and so we could be seeing much, much, much more powerful engines. And frankly, the thermal management of it, now we've got uh, several manufacturers from Formula One going into Formula E, there's going to be some crossover there. And you can bet the manufacturers there will want to apply. No, I just lost you, Matt, there. Hello? Matt? Oh, we've lost Matt permanently. Okay. So, (laughs) oh, hang on a minute. No, my whole internet has gone down, I think. Well, now this is very awkward. 51, internet. So that's for my notes there. Have I lost my whole internet? Well, I don't know. I don't know if I'm still streaming. I have no idea. And unfortunately, I wasn't listening, so I don't know where he was at. So that's awkward. See if he answers. Doop, doop, doop. Hello. Ha-ha. Hello, Matt. Many apologies. You were talking about something about hybridization between Formula E and something, something. Yeah, I, I think that, that really what it's down to is Braun has to get it right because if they're dinosaurs, people will lose interest. So there has to be some relevance, but the relevance can be a different kind of relevance than they're currently seeking uh, with the FIA. I think they need to rethink it, make it simpler, make it lighter, and frankly, more clever and make it easier um, for the playing field to be leveled by the different manufacturers. At any rate, Anything. I think, Matt, we are probably reaching the limit of what is a reasonable amount of waffle. Uh, I know you're on holiday for the next two weeks, so I'm very glad we were able to record this to put out on the first Sunday. And then, just goodness knows, I'm going to have to deal without you uh, for the following Sunday. Who knows uh, what we'll do? We'll probably do a silly game of some sort. Uh, Matt, what do you want to plug before you go? Well, uh, I would plug my wife's website, which has just been redesigned, Amanda Weaver. I would plug my upcoming album crowdfunding, which you will get on the spa weekend, I hope, if I have time to put it together. Uh, I'll have time to put it together. Who cares? You'll come support me no matter how bad it looks. Right, everybody? Of course we Uh, will. Absolutely. And that would be pretty much it. Other other than that, uh, it's been a pleasure. And if you want to support me indirectly by uh, supporting one of my employers... Uh, then why not check out the latest audiobook penned by Robert Kyle Schultz called The Beast of Tales End, narrated by me, and I gave it my best effort, and I think it came out okay. It's a very fun tale uh, where a sceptical detective suddenly realises that the world he's in uh, was in fact once populated by all the fairy tales that he debunks. So uh, check out The Beast of Tales End, uh, and if it sells well enough, Uh, I'll get another gig for the sequel. Uh, Until next time, enjoy your summer and remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars and glory lasts forever. This was Wafflecast on Missed Apex with Matt. The 
chat room just accused us of being professional when the internet dropped out. How dare you, chat room? We are maintaining our amateur status for the podcast Olympics. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.